Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast where we explore all things assisted reproductive technology. I'm Ellen Trackman, and I'm here with Jennifer White, my um, co-host extraordinaire and sister. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I have to point out, and I'm going to give a total like shout out to somebody. I was at Advocacy Day in Washington, D.C. recently, and I got stopped by, and I'm going to totally shout him out here by somebody by the name of Ryan. So Ryan, we're shouting you <laughs> out here. But he's like, he, we were talking and he goes, I didn't know you guys were sisters. And I'm like, how do you not know we're sisters? <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like we say it almost every Every time. Right? I, don't I don't know. Most of the time. Yeah. Uh, anyway. All right. So since we're sisters, um, what is your favorite childhood smell? Or if your childhood had a smell that like you remember, what, what would it be? Oh, well, my least was probably you and your socks. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. No, we didn't, we didn't have to show room, so we were good. Uh, my favorite I smell. I don't know about favorite. I guess if I were to think of a childhood smell, do you know when you travel somewhere and you get off the plane and certain places smell a certain way and you're like, yeah, that, that's familiar? I always think of like the Washington, D.C. metro smell. And like I have certain ones that are like uh, that. Yeah. Not, I don't know. I feel like when I go back to the South, because we would go every summer to Mississippi to visit grandparents. And now when I go back to the South, there's like this smell. There's like a very certain like, you know, earthy, you know, voice. I don't know, smell. That's in interesting. It's very distinct to me. That reminds me of my childhood because of those those summers that we'd go and that's, visit. That's really interesting because the one I would think of was also like an outdoor smell. But I think of oh. where we lived. So we grew up in northern New Mexico, and the smell of ponderosa pines. They have a really like distinct vanilla y kind of smell. And oh, I was just saying, what's the vanilla? That's the vanilla one, which is yeah. amazing. You can smell a tree that smells like vanilla. Like, I want to eat this tree. I know. And I've definitely been places where I've been like sticking my nose in the bark of trees and people think I'm a weirdo. And I mean, I am a weirdo. <laughs> it's okay. But, For but, that and other reasons. But then I was some, I was in um, Northern Colorado. Not even, no, not even Northern Colorado. I was in Colorado Springs once. And I was out just hiking with a friend and I got that exact same whiff of a smell. And I was just like, oh, it's like, childhood like it is home mm. it was really interesting to have that one very specific so there must have been ponderosa pines around i didn't see them but there must have been so yeah anyway that was fascinating okay on to our guest right <laughs> you're like oh good thanks for sharing all yes. of your weirdo okay. childhood no. yeah. um <laughs> smell the trees all around you to see if they're ponderosa pines yes. and smell like vanilla yes uh yeah but today we have a great guest with um an amazing story as happens a lot we have a lot of really good guests but today is shelly marsh and i won't give anything away we can just dive in dive in welcome shelly marsh shelly thank you for joining us and telling us your story of um helping grow other families i'm happy to be here how are you good great um do you want to start out by telling us just a little bit about your background kind of where you grew up and what you were doing when you kind of came to this decision that you wanted to, to help others. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Southern California. Um, I went to college in Los Angeles and I first decided to be a surrogate. Well, I got the idea, I guess, essentially after I had my first daughter, I worked for a mom's group 
at a church and were there were there surrogates as part of the mom's group no but the lady who ran the group was the sweetest lady and she was always so good with the kids and i was like which ones are yours and she said that she had to have an emergency hysterectomy at 26 years old and she had been on the adoption waiting list for eight years and she had just started down the path of in researching surrogacy as an option to build her family. And I was like, what is surrogacy? And she started to explain it to me. And like, wow. we planted the seed and watered the seed and the seed grew. And that's wow. <laughs> where the idea came from. Yeah. But you had a second child after that of your own, a keeper child. Um, I Once I started researching what it took to be a surrogate and how you kind of figured out this journey, um, I read a lot about they really recommend you having your family completed first because with uh-huh. surrogacy, you never know. So right, I knew right. I wanted to have a sibling for my daughter. And that's when I talked with my husband about the entire process. And he was open to the idea. I think he was very skeptical. But he didn't want any more kids, so that was a whole nother conversation. And oh, I he didn't want—he didn't want any more than your first kid, right? He said one. Uh, was in- oh wow! Yeah. So, so how did that go? <laughs> um, well, we were just toying with the idea of surrogacy, and I was on birth control, but I'm not really responsible enough to take a pill every day. Um, so we were moving that, into a bigger place. That really surprises me because surrogacy is really intense of like multiple shots at certain times during a day, right? Right. Well, I think a lot of it's like subconscious too. Like you forget the things you're okay with forgetting, I think. Right. Yeah. So I just think that the universe had a different plan. And then I was pregnant or that's when I found out I was pregnant with my youngest, Stella. And once we had Stella and life kind of got back to a normal routine, I was like, okay, so I'm still interested in this. All right, we have to introduce the dog. Tell us what the dog's name is. Right, I'm sorry. I have a zoo. No, no, no. Yeah, no, that's good. So I have Izzy. I rescued her five years ago, almost six years ago. Oh, perfect. I'm going to do a DNA test because I'm dying to know what she is. Um, And then I I, rescued Murphy two years ago, and he's an Australian shepherd who's deaf, and his owners have eaten him. Oh, okay. They do totally they have permission that? to bark. Do, do they have 23andMe or Ancestry.com for dogs? They do. I've done it for what? one of mine. No. I have. What, what's it I called? Have. What is that? Uh, I can't remember. It was so long ago, and I did the one in Britain when I, we lived over there. Oh. Um, yeah, which is interesting because I think it came up with a different set of DNA because they apparently don't cross-share them across country borders. And it was an American dog, and I had the DNA tested in England. So it pulled up different levels of DNA than I suspect it would in the United States. So I, I think I should redo it. Let's do it together, Shelly. Let's yeah. redo it together. There's, our dogs. there's a new one called Wisdom, and it's for dogs, and it matches like 350 breeds or something. So Okay. All right. Wow. We're going to do that. Um, anyway, sorry. Side note, all of you now know you're going to have to like follow up after to hear <laughs> Shelly and I's journeys on DNA testing our dogs, too. Right. <laughs> Okay, so anyway, so you had two, ch- two, you had your two children, and you started to talk about surrogacy again. Yeah, I mean, it was she was probably just over a year old, and like I don't know how I thought of the idea again, but it came back to me, and I said, okay, now's the time we gotta really think about this. So I started searching for an agency, and it was 2011. So like back then, my only criteria really was like who didn't advertise on Craigslist. Like I didn't want to- <laughs> no Craigslist killers. I'm not shopping for a mattress. Like I really just wanted somebody who was reputable and had a history of the things that could go wrong to make sure that I was covered in the entire process. 
So I've partnered with an agency and I signed with them and the first journey was great, I think. But with regards to agencies, I don't think that necessarily using the same agency every time is what's best because like your needs change and they're maybe their track record changes or their employees change. So I'm always a proponent of like re-interviewing them before you go again. Cause like I said, my first journey with them was great, but I don't recommend them as an agency now. Okay. So did you consider being a surrogate for the woman you knew from the mom's group? Was that, was that an option? I did. I did. But luckily by the time I had had my second daughter and the time came to even consider what type of couple I wanted to work with. Yeah. Um, she was actually, a, she found somebody who's doing a private adoption Aww. and she, she got her baby in the end. So through adoption. Yay. Good. So okay. Was- so how did it go with the agency? Did they match you quickly? How were you surprised by the questions? How did you, how the process go? I mean, I feel like you learn a lot about yourself when you screen to be a surrogate because they ask you questions that maybe you haven't even thought of asking yourself. Um, and they ask you the same question in like seven different ways during the psych evaluation that I'm like, maybe I am crazy. (laughs) 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 Really, I think they just try to make sure that your answer is consistent with how the question is formed. They ask you, I think, like I said, the same types of questions in different orders, just to make sure that you're consistent and like you're answering honestly, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. So they were just asking a lot of questions to me. And they were also asking questions to my husband and asking questions about, our friends and our family dynamic and really the support system we would have since this is such a involved process. Um, And then they would ask questions like what type of couple did I see myself working with? And I've always been a very strong ally for the LGBT community. And I always said that if I was going to sacrifice my body and go through a journey like this, I wanted it to be for somebody who really had all the odds stacked against them. And in my mind, that was gay males who couldn't actually physically carry a pregnancy. And they were open to that. So they, they paired you with a same sex couple. Um, the first screening that I did with this agency, once she asked me what type of couple and I disclosed that I wanted to help a gay male couple, she kind of stood up quickly and said, if that's the type of couple you want to work with, you're going to have to work with somebody else because I don't help those people. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. And so I got up and I gathered my things and I left. And about a week later, somebody else from the agency calls me and they're like, hey, how did it go? We heard you passed your your mental health screening. And I was like, oh, funny. I didn't think I'd pass here. Let me tell you what happened. And they profusely apologized and said that they would give me a different counselor and that I wouldn't have to talk to this woman again. And I had a lot of red So it was an outside counselor? It wasn't the agency? Or who was it that made that comment? They used somebody who did all of their, but it's somebody who still works with them to this day. Wow. And is that, does that person still have that viewpoint? That's No. Surprisingly, they said that they have. Okay. They don't think that way any longer. But for me, I'm not interested. Like you can't in yeah. five years make that drastic of a change. Like, I'm sorry. Right. Well, now it's been nine years, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. That's wow. crazy. So I mean, luckily, so they were somebody- with somebody else who was, I, I got along with very well. So I ended up staying with the agency, even though had I done it differently now, maybe I would have done a few things. Like had I had the opportunity now, I probably would have done a few things differently, but um, it's it was a lot to take in. Right. Yeah. So they apologized for that and you still went, but you did go forward with them is what you're essentially saying. Yes, I did. Okay. So 
and they respected that and they presented you with how did how did they do it? I know every agency does it a little differently. Did they present profiles to you and you made the choice? Did your intended parents choose you? Which which direction did you go? They presented me with profiles and initially it was just a lot of of um heterosexual couples or single females and I said no I, I really oh so they weren't just they still weren't very respectful of that choice then no and so I just kept saying no declining declining yeah and they were like so what are you looking for and I'm like okay so we had this conversation um I really want some sex male couple I don't care where they are in the world I don't care if they're in the states or in a different country um I knew at this point that like Germany wasn't an option because you have to be a single woman in the U.S. Mm-hmm. to carry a couple for right. or, for a gay couple in Germany. So like I knew what my, like what the challenges were, but again, there's gotta be plenty to choose from. Um, so then they started sending me gay couples and I'm like, Oh, I really, this, this profile is nice. I'm like, Oh, well there are, I'm like, okay, well why are you showing them to me? <laughs> like, so picking a couple initially was a yeah. little hard. And then they were showing me, I had very basic criteria. Like I wanted them to be together at least five years. Cause I know that if you're bringing a child into the situation, that's already a financial hurdle because of how expensive this process is. I just want to make sure that the couple was solid and that they really were on the same page and that they were old enough. I didn't really want anybody in their twenties because I mean, I had a kid in my twenties and that's hard. Like you don't even know who you are at that point, let alone like what kind of parent you're going to be. So then finally they sent me the most adorable couple I've ever met in my entire life. And they were from (laughs) Norway and they've been together for 12 years. And one was originally from Finland, the one grew up in Norway and they, their couple, their, their profile, I guess, that they wrote together was just really sweet. Luckily, I was able to say, oh, I love this couple. And they were like, okay, well, they're available. And then that's when they said they would set up or they would send that couple my profile and see what they said. And then a week later, they're like, oh, they responded and they love you. Do you guys want to set up a Skype call? Mm-hmm. And it was funny because the first Skype call, like I'm a very outspoken, wild, silly person. And I felt like we were on a first date because we were trying to be like super proper that's how I describe it yeah I always describe that Mm -hmm. match meeting it's like a blind first blind date right no (laughs) f-bombs no inappropriate jokes it was really hard (laughs) and then after that we had emailed each other our phone numbers and we had email addresses and then from there it was kind of just like meeting a new friend like you slowly start to realize who they really are. And we realized that we were very much the same personality and had the same family values. So it was really just a natural progression after that. That's awesome. That's really awesome. So was there a clinic? Where in the United States was there a clinic? Uh, Encino, California. So just Okay. So, so not too far from you. Okay. So that wasn't so bad. What was your process? How long did it take? Did you actually, 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 I'm sorry. I have so many questions. Did you get to meet them before you even went to the transfer, like in person? Yes, we did. So we signed contracts. I got medical clearance to be a surrogate. We did legal clearance. And then when they came, we matched in June and they came in August to leave their sperm sample. And so they could do their semen analysis and then they would save that sperm to create the embryos. So that was in August. So two months later, they came to Los Angeles to meet with the doctor. And that's when we met them in real life in Los Angeles. And that was even more scary. Like the night before I'm picking up outfits, like I'm trying on. Yes. Right. What do you wear for the first time you meet in person, the couple whose baby you're going to carry? Right. I was sending pictures to some of my friends like, okay, which one outfit? One, two or three. And they're like, Shelly, they're not here to see your outfit. They're here to see your uterus. And I'm like, okay, well, they're not going to see that. Uh, on the (laughs) 
<laughs> it was so stressful. And then we always joked about, cause one of the dads did, um, like Broadway type musicals and theater in Norway. Like that's his profession. He is an wow. and he just finished doing a show where he was a clown. So I remember after I picked out like the, the perfect outfit and my hair was exactly how it was supposed to be. And all these silly things now that you look back and I'm like, that's really what I picked. <laughs> um, what did you pick? What did, what did you wear? It was a black skirt and like a teal top like it was nothing super fancy but it was like fancy for me because I wear like yoga pants nice but casual good uh, yeah playing it cool <laughs> but I decided to get a clown nose so when we first met them like I was wearing a clown nose uh, to kind of break the ice a little bit and it was perfect now yeah. we oh uh, that is awesome. great yeah I love that so how long from there did it go did it take for you to actually get to a transfer because you said they were coming to the United States and they still hadn't created their embryos at that point Right. So we were matched and in contract. And when they came there, they had an egg donor that they were selected who was going to start cycling. So embryos were supposed to be created the first week of September. But the first, I don't remember what happened with the first egg donor, but they lost their first egg donor. So I remember it was Labor Day weekend that year and they had called me and told me like, we have to start over. Our search has to start over. Oh, they were in tears and they thought that I was going to leave. And I was like, well, I mean, I've never done this before. So I didn't know that that wasn't normal. Like, I had no idea. Um, yeah. So then they started screening for a new surrogate and they picked or a new egg donor. I apologize. And then the second egg donor, I think yeah. it was the middle of October. For whatever reason, she wasn't medically cleared to continue. I think they found this in oh. her ovaries. So then they were looking for their yeah. third egg donor. So they didn't even select their third egg donor until about Thanksgiving of that year. So we didn't even have embryos created until the end of December. So I was matched for nine wow. months before they had embryos. Wow. Which is a long time. At one point, my husband was like, we're not waiting any longer. We need to pick a different couple. And I was like, uh, yeah, right. No, thank you. Be quiet, please. <laughs> it's hard because you get invested too at that point. You know, you, you start, you really know them now and you really... Right. You already, already love them. You already love two them. losses of a potential agent. Like, that's a lot. Like, who am yeah. I to say it's been long enough? Like, let's pick somebody now. And now you get to lose another person to add right. to it, everything. Right. Like, I'm not, I couldn't do it. Mm. So we'll just sit back and look. Our turn will come. And yeah. it did come. Um, yeah. We started meds in December. And I remember my first, my baseline ultrasound was Christmas Eve. So we had to find a clinic that was open on Christmas Eve, which was fun. Oh my goodness. And then a week later, of course, is New Year's Eve. So you have to go back a week later once you've been on the meds for a week and do your lining check. And so New Year's Eve, I was back at the same clinic. We're like best um, friends now. Right. <laughs> You're like, happy holidays. And then, <laughs> right. And then I knew from the beginning, but they wanted to do a double embryo transfer, which back then, again, I didn't know what I was doing. I agreed. Yeah. Luckily, everything yeah. was fine. Right. Um, that's a lot because they had an egg donor that produced 23 eggs and 17 Ooh. of them were matured eggs. Wow. And so they split, no, I think, yeah, 17 were matured eggs. So one dad did a little more than half and the other dad did a little less than half. And then at that point I was like, are you picking boys or girls? And they're like, no, 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 we're not, we're not revealing the gender. We, they did the PGS testing um, because the doctor recommended it because they're a little bit older, mm -hmm. even though the egg donor wasn't, it was just something that they had thought was a good idea. Yeah. And, they just let the doctor pick the best embryo from each dad. Wow. I think that's a great, I mean, that's always a great idea anyway. You know, you always want to have the best quality ones, right? Right. So luckily they picked the best two embryos and I went in for 
the transfer. And I remember it was Dr. Bustenfar at HRC Encino. And he's doing like the uterine cavity exam right before, you know, just to make sure there's no like polyps, no fluid, no anything. And it's the vaginal probe ultrasound. And let's be for real, like that's not fun. It's never mm-hmm. fun. Nope. But he's like really making sure that my uterus is good to go. And oh I remember looking down at him and I'm like, you going for a high score? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And he turned beet red and he, I embarrassed him every chance I got. So let's not <laughs> pretend like that was something new. But like, really, you got to eat that. Buddy. Like that uterus is connected to me and I don't like it. Right? <laughs> Oh my goodness. So they transferred the two then, right? That day. They transferred two that day and it felt like it was taking a long time. But then the the embryologist comes in with the catheter with the two embryos in it. And like, I had no idea what to expect. And then you see them like put the catheter in and they're like, okay, we're going to drop them in. And you can totally see the entire process, which is fascinating because we yeah. had the guys on site anyway. Right. Um, so it was just, it was a really fun experience. They couldn't be there for the transfer, obviously, because all the egg donor drama and mm. not really knowing the dates and everything. And it was in January. So it was just, the holidays had just passed. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was interesting. It was fun. And then we just went home and waited. <laughs> right. You're like, and you, the longest 10 days ever. <laughs> did you take a home test before the blood test just to, just to see? Oh my gosh. I can share with you the picture and you could post it with this article. But I <laughs> okay. Took- okay. Probably 24 different moments. Oh my God, that's awesome. (laughs) And they got darker and darker and darker, I assume. Oh, darker and darker. And I was to the point where a girlfriend I worked with, um, her sister worked at an OB office, so she just brought me a box of pregnancy tests. And I mean, it was like multiple times a day. That is awesome. I love it. So I have the pictures. I made them a scrapbook at the end, but you can see all like all of the pregnancy tests line up with the dates across the bottom. Like it was an obsession, but it's like, I gave up so much control and that's all I could really do is just keep peeing. Right. (laughs) You're like, I'm doing it anyway. Right. (laughs) And were you telling them the whole time or were you keeping it a secret? Oh no, I didn't. uh, The agency was like, please don't like home tests could have faults and all this stuff. Oh, you did not not tell them. Wow. (laughs) So it was like blood test date, like the first blood test. Um, the number was actually pretty low for like, and we thought there was just one. It was 123 oh, wow. was my first beta at, I think eight days after a five day transfer. Yeah. And so we were like, okay, well at least we're pregnant. Like right. good to go. Right. And then we took the test again, what, like the two or three days later. And it was 1,379. <gasps> like I still wow. remember the exact number. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that's more than the then, doubling. Like, yeah. <laughs> Right. And then the next day is when I started vomiting every time I like blinked. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay, I think we're, and so I remember the first time I went in to see if there was a heartbeat, the heartbeat ultrasound, I had to stop on the way there because I was super nauseous and I was inside a target. Like, where's the bathroom? Where's the bathroom? And the lady's like, the bathroom's over. And I put my hand over my mouth and like vomits just coming out from between my fingers. Oh, no. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And she's like, ma'am, just go into the bathroom. It's fine. I'll clean it up. By the time I got to the clinic, he's like, how are you feeling, Shelly? And I was like, please don't ask. (laughs) It's terrible. You're like, I do not want to open my mouth in any way, shape, or form at this point. (laughs) And I don't really want to talk about what just happened because then it's going to happen again. So let's just move forward from here. (laughs) Oh, my God. So I was really sick for at least until 16 weeks. Wow. But at that appointment, though, did you Skype in the dads, too? So did they get to see the the very first confirmation? Yes. 
we were there um, and yeah, we Skyped them in and they got to watch all of it. So I had my phone and then my iPad because I wanted to like be able to record it so they could have it later. Awesome. <laughs> You're smart. So yep, they were there and they saw both heartbeats and they started crying. Aww. So great. Really sweet. That is fantastic. But so besides the nausea, did you have, you know, any other problems? Was it eventful or uneventful pregnancy, I guess is the best way to ask that. Um, at, in the beginning, it was very uneventful. Uh, my lining was super thick at the beginning. So they kept warning me like you might have some spotting, like there's too much, you're going to need to shed some of that lining, they're only going to keep what they need. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so they kept warning me like, if this happens, don't panic, just lay down, drink water and call us and then it never happened. Okay. So I felt like I got blessed in that way. Um, and then everything was fine. They made me see a perinatologist though, just to make sure. So like when they do the heart scans and everything, I was, I was seeing the maternal fetal medicine doctor all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, and my OB is the type of doctor who thinks he can do it all. So he's like, you don't, you know, you don't really need to go there. And I'm like, yes, but it's not my baby. And the couple is telling me that this is what they want. So we're just going to do it and play nice. Right. <laughs> so, so we did it all. And then it wasn't until 32 weeks, I believe. Um, my cervix was shrinking quick uh, and the dad to come until 33 weeks. So the perinatologist is like, we, we need the dads to get here. So I called them and I was like, they need you to come now. I'm on bed rest until you get here. And the dads flew out the next day and I was supposed to be in my sister-in-law's wedding. Pregnant with twins and I'm dilating. I can't be in your wedding. I'm really sorry. Yeah. Did, did she take that excuse? Her. I mean, it's a little weak, but <laughs> a little weak. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, she, better story. Yeah. Um, I mean, she seemed to be okay with it. So yeah, okay. I hope. I mean, she's a nurse, so I think she gets it. And it was her second wedding, so I mean, we've all yeah. done this before. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I still went to the wedding, but so the dads flew in the night of the wedding, and at that point, I was still on bed rest, like. I was only able to go to the wedding because my doctor signed off on it. I was going to say, so you just rolled your bed to the wedding. Yeah. (laughs) Well, they just put me in a wheelbarrow and we just walked down the aisle together. (laughs) (laughs) So the dads rushed and got there. They were there at 33 weeks. And then we went back to the doctor, I think twice a week beyond that, um, to see either the, the NST scans or to see the OB or to see the maternal fetal medicine doctor. There was always like, we were always going to the doctor. And then 30, they were like, you just need to make it to 35 weeks. And then like, you'll be okay. Like twins at 35 weeks is fine. Like we'll track you at 35 weeks. And if we need to give you the shot to develop their lungs, we will. And then 35 weeks came and went. Oh, wow. And 36 weeks came and went. And then the 37 week mark came and went. And here we are. Like my feet were swollen. And it was about it. And then it was Friday, September 20th. And my birthday was that following Monday, the 23rd. And I was like, oh, we're going to make it. Like, I'm going to deliver on my birthday. This is going to be amazing. And then it's the Friday before, just my usual, my appointments were always on Fridays in case something went sideways. We got to take care of it on a weekday and not over the weekend. And my OB was like, okay, so I'm not on call this weekend. And you're about four centimeters dilated. I don't think you're going to make it to Monday. And I was like, no, no. Fine, we're gonna make it to Monday. And he was like, Okay, you can wait if you'd like, but I'm not on call this weekend. So if you go into labor on Saturday or Sunday, it's not going to be me that delivers you. Mm. And I was like, Okay, well, we're gonna go now then. And he's like, Yep, we're gonna go now. <laughs> and I had eaten breakfast, so they had to wait a little while. Um, because baby B was breached, uh, and they said you can deliver 
and then we can try to flip baby B or you could deliver baby B breech. And he showed me this YouTube video of how a baby is delivered breech and how the process to turn the baby when it's still inside. And I said, okay, so we're going to do a C-section, right? (laughs) (laughs) To me, like we worked so hard for this. I needed those babies here as quickly as possible, as safe as possible. Yeah. For us, that meant a C-section. And the anesthesiologist at that hospital said, like, you can only have one person in the room with you. So I left it up to the dads. Like, if one of you wants to be in, absolutely let me know. And they thought that it was in my best interest to have my support person there instead. So they just waited in the recovery room for the babies to be born. Oh, wow. And they were born at 3.59 and 4.01, I think, is the times, p.m. Wow, that was quick. Yeah. Six pounds, 14 ounces, and five pounds, 13 ounces. So they were huge. That was a lot of baby in you. Yeah. (laughs) You have a good memory for numbers. I'm impressed. I do. (laughs) So then they came out and it was, it was fun because you know how they have that metallic like surgery spotlight above you? Well, I can kind of see the reflection. So the epidural's in and you can't really see anything, but I was kind of able to watch them like put all my organs back in and I was watching them stitching up through this metallic. Wow. Okay. fascinating. I was super bummed that nobody recorded it, but I guess it's like hospital policy or something. <laughs> wow. In case they put an organ back in the wrong place, maybe. I don't right? know. And then I, I remember I, the anesthesiologist like, Shelly, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? I'm like, I'm totally fine. And he has this dish next to my mouth. And he's like, if you're going to throw up, just aim for the dish. And I was like, I know I'm totally fine. So he's like, all right, I'm going to put the dish down. Then he turns to put the dish down. I just threw up <laughs> all over him. <laughs> and then I started like the, the shakes, you know, you get the shakes after. And he's like, okay, I'm going to put something in your IV just to help you calm down. He's like, cause you're shaking a lot. And so the next thing I know, I'm, I'm waking up and I'm in the recovery room now. Oh, wow. And I look up at the clock and I knew that the Friday was September 20th because my birthday was the 23rd. Mm-hmm. And I wake up and the clock says 8.57 p.m. on September 21st. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Wait, it's it's been how long? And I start to panic and I start to cry and I'm starting to shake. And my husband and the dads are all like, what's going on, Shelly? What's going on? I'm like, what the clock? It's tomorrow. What happened? Like, I remember falling asleep. And then now I'm waking up and it's been a whole day. And they're like, oh, no, the clock's wrong. You've only been out for about an hour. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Oh, that's horrible in the moment. Oh, wow. Right. It was awful. And then, I mean, beyond that, it was fine. But, like, watching the guys meet the babies for the first time was – it's like a heroin moment. Like, you know how people who are addicted to heroin, you're like, oh, you're always chasing the first high. So like that moment is like my, I call it my heroin moment. Like I'm always going to be chasing the high I felt watching them become a family. Yeah. Wow. I've never heard that. The heroin moment. I love it. I, I like that though. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm going to use that now. Apparently I watch, I, I watch too much intervention, I guess. <laughs> So, so that means so that you did like you need another. I was hit? gonna say. So now you need another hit, right? <laughs> what happened? I was so connected with them, and it was such a long process. And we were so close with the guys; like they stayed until the babies were six weeks old. After, um, and then we had it was at the time where they they're from Norway, so we had to visit their Norwegian consulate and get the paternity testing done yeah. to make sure that they were the dads and to make sure that. I wasn't genetically linked to them and that my husband wasn't genetically linked to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all had to like put your right hand up. Do you swear that this isn't your baby? All of that fun stuff. Cotton yeah. swabs in the mouth, we did all of it. So it was a lot of work with them. Um, and then they went home and it was like the saddest moment of my life. Oh, um, sure. I cried all the way back. Oh, from the, the high and the low. Right? Right. 
And then they had gifted us with a trip to Norway. So the next summer they wanted us to come and see them in Norway and see their home. Like they'd already been to our house. So it was that summer, like leading up to it. I was like, I think I need to do this again. Like I'm, I was only 25, I think. And like, I'm young enough. I can do this again. Yeah. Wow. And when we were at their house or at a house with them in Norway, I had told them like, I I need to talk to you about something. And then I cried and I was like, I think I want to do this one more time. And then they cried and I was like, oh shit, I did it now. (laughs) Making everybody cry. And they were like, no, we're just really glad that you want to be pregnant again. (laughs) So then they gave their blessing for me to do it again. Hmm. And I kind of needed that though. Like I don't, if they would have said no, I think maybe I would have stopped. Interesting. But for me, it was such a personal decision and it's something that we did together that if they want, if they didn't want to share me, like I totally understand. But because they might want to have another child with you or just because you wanted their blessing generally? Just in general. Mm -hmm. Like I knew that they didn't want any more like twins is a lot. (laughs) Yes, it is. Right. And I don't think that they had any girls. So maybe if they had a girl frozen, maybe they would have wanted another, but they just had a like an army of boys. So that's actually an interesting All question. All those embryos? That's yeah, I was going to say. So, and did they know? So when did they find out they're having boys? Since they obviously tra- opted to transfer the healthiest no matter what. Uh, when did they find that out? Right. So after, after the transfer, the doctor had sent them the sheet that said which embryos were created. Mm. So just like the health stats on the embryos. And they had no idea that it listed the gender. They just knew that the PGS testing checked the, like the chromosomal count and for chromosomal abnormalities. And one of them's a doctor. So he found that very fascinating. So he opened the document to look Mm. and he's like, now, now I know. (laughs) So then he told the other dad, like, I, I I looked, I didn't know that that was the information that was in there. Right. He's like, okay, well don't tell me. And then they went to bed and then the other dad woke up in the middle of the night, logged into the computer and looked. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you said like, he like woke him up in the middle of the night. Okay. Tell me. (laughs) No, he just snuck into the computer room and logged in himself. So, but they didn't end up telling anybody else until the anatomy scan at 20 weeks. Okay. So it was just like a secret that we all kept because for them, like they're already doing so much intervention to have the babies that like, I wish that that information was blacked out or like redacted from their information because it should have been a bigger moment for them. And they just didn't get that. Yeah. That's hard. That's hard. Uh, So you decide to do it again. You have their blessing now. What, what was your next step? Um, I decided to use the same agency because like I said, the first journey was perfect. Like they were supportive in just the right amount of ways. And, but I knew doing the second journey that I wanted to do something different. Like it needed to be different somehow. Like I couldn't repeat the couple that I had and I couldn't repeat that same relationship. So it needed to be something different. So the agency is like, how about a heterosexual couple? And I was like, no, 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 not that different. Not that kind of different. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't we just do like a gay couple that lives in the U.S.? Mm. And they were like, it's not really that different. I'm like, it's totally different. (laughs) So then they said, we have this couple, but they might be a little too demanding for you. Like they might not be as emotional and they might, it might be a little bit harder for you to connect with them. And I was like, oh, that sounds perfect. Like, I don't really want to be connected to anybody else. This is wonderful. And then they showed that couple our profile and said to them, well, Shelly's a little bit emotional <laughs> and you're really going to need to hold her hand. And I'm like, obviously you don't know. Until we talked with them after, but we met them in Los Angeles. So they're from Los Angeles. Okay. So they're about an hour away from my home, yeah. which is like totally different from 3,500 miles. Right. Away. 
And we just met them and it was like their energy matched. Like one of them is a little more serious and one of them is really silly and they're very powerful people in their industry and they're very educated. And, but when we met them in real life, it kind of just worked. Good, good. Like it felt like I had known them for 10 years. Um, And then we knew that they only wanted to do one embryo transfer, Uh a single embryo transfer, because that's all I wanted to. After I did the twins, I was like, we are never doing that again. Like they're huge and they're perfect and beautiful. And I would do that all again for them, but I'm not going to do it again for anybody else. It. Like it was a lot on my body mm-hmm. and it was just a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. I was 50 inches around on delivery day with the twins. Like that is Shrek wearing a dress. Wow. And I was, and I will admit, I've, I mean, I know Ellen, Ellen and I both met Shelly in person and that means she was giant because she is a tiny little thing. <laughs> Um, it was, yeah. I was the size of an elephant. Wow. Uh, so another local area clinic then too. So you didn't have to do the, you know, like flying to another airport, I assume, you know, any of those kind of things. Nope. Was it the same? Luckily clinic? I live in, nope, different clinic. Um, but still equally as wonderful. The second couple had already had an embryo or, um, an egg donor selected and she was already cycling. So by the time we met them and signed contracts, they had embryos. So we met them. It was funny. It was my birthday weekend. So almost exactly a year after the twins were born and their clinic was close. So they had embryos. So by the time I went in to see their doctor to get medically cleared and we did the legal clearance, it was starting meds in November. And then they were like, okay, well, we might have to drop this cycle because your lining isn't progressing the way that it should. Hmm. And I cried. It was Dr. Ringler oh, at California Fertility yeah. Partners. He was like super strict. And even when he did my screening to be the surrogate for these guys, he was like, are you sure you had a C-section, Shelly? And I'm like, yep, pretty sure I was there. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, You're like, I was washing my organs be put back in my body. So that, that like I saw my guts sitting on a table and then they put them back in. <laughs> It was like the weirdest version of Mr. Potato Head I've ever seen. <laughs> and he just said that like my uterus healed completely. Wow. I was like, well, that's amazing. Yeah. So he called me a unicorn and Aww. I fell in love the moment the words rolled out of his sweet little mouth. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but he said my lining wasn't progressing the way that it should. Wow. So they were going to drop the transfer and then we would restart. And we did that. Yeah. Um and I was like, okay, this is fine. So we ended up transferring Hardy on December 16th, which meant that my first blood test was Christmas Eve. Like no pressure, guys. <laughs> right? And you're familiar. like, darn this whole Christmas Eve thing. Like I have a connection with Christmas Eve over and over and over again. <laughs> did did the embryo did the embryo have a name? Was the embryo already named or that's just in retrospect? No, they knew it was a boy because they just said oh. pick the healthiest one and the healthiest one was a boy. Um, these mm-hmm. guys were terrible at picking names. Are you kidding me? I have a story about that in a little bit. <laughs> um, so I remember I was picking my kids up from their last day of school before Christmas break. And I was standing in line to sign my little one out because she was in kindergarten. And I just felt this gush. And I was like, well, you, you guys got to get to the car. Like, We've got to get in the car. And so I remember there was a grocery bag in the back seat. So I put the grocery bag on my seat and like, luckily the school is not far. And I drove home and I went to the bathroom and it was like a murder scene. There was like four ping ball size clots and I just (gasps) cried. And so I laid on my bed and I called Dr. Ringler and I was like, what is happening? I think I'm dying. And he was like, no, like it's Friday. There's, there's nothing we can do right now. It's middle of rush hour. Let's get through tonight. And then if we need to, we can have you go somewhere tomorrow morning. And luckily, the clock all stopped. It was just kind of 
minor spotting, but my appointment with him was on Monday anyway. So he called me the next day and was like, how are you? And I'm like, it's just light spotting. And he was like, okay, well, there's no need to rush to do an ultrasound now. Because it is what it is. Right now it is what it is. So you have your appointment Monday morning anyway. So I'll just see you Monday morning. If anything else happens, let me know. And I was like, okay, sounds, sounds good. So we get there Monday morning and he's ready to do the ultrasound. And lo and behold, we had a heartbeat. Wow. Um, My lining was a 12 on transfer day. So it was just one embryo. And so all of these fears that they told me that were going to happen with the twins, like they just waited and happened with this one. (laughs) Oh, right. Right. And did you, did you, were you convinced that this was it? That it was over, that there wouldn't be a heartbeat? Mm -hmm. Yeah, with that much blood. First transfer success with the twins and we had twins. And then this time I was like, okay, so this is what it's like. Like this is just as terrible as all the girls I've heard share their stories when the transfer doesn't take. Yeah, um, right. yeah, it was a yeah. lot. Like, we like the dads were there, like they were waiting for me, and we mm-hmm. all- had you told them about the bleeding and all that stuff, so they were at least in on your fears, or mm-hmm. or no? Like my thing was is these guys are giving up so much control; they're going to hear about every process. So they heard about the progesterone <laughs> lumps, they heard about the the crinone suppositories. That when you sneeze, it's like cottage cheese coming out, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I love it. I love that you shared all that. I'm not going to do this alone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, so, did that leave you kind of fearful going forward? That, you know, every every small symptom, everything that you were suddenly like, this, this is it this time? Yep. Absolutely. So I was super nervous going forward. So I was always super cautious and I always followed all the rules and I took my medication on the exact same day and I did everything that I was supposed to. So for me, it was like, I couldn't do anything more to prevent something bad from happening. If it was going to happen, it wasn't because of something that I failed to do. So that was hard for me to wrap my brain around because I take a lot of pride in everything I do. And I take responsibility for things that go wrong that are out of my control. It's probably one of my biggest weaknesses. Um, Right. It's common too. It's so hard not to blame yourself when you have no control in this area. So I was very cautious moving forward, but nothing else ever bad happened. Like everything was perfect beyond that. I mean, I'm naturally a slow producer of progesterone on my own. So I've always had to stay on injections until week 12. So for me, um, Dr. Ringler doesn't tend to do intramuscular injections for progesterone. Like there's just other options, but I knew that that worked for me with the twins. So I just wanted to do that again. so he's like, yeah. you're mm-hmm. sure you're, you're opting into injections? And I was like, yeah, I'm opting in. <laughs> so it was, it, it was never fun, but at least I knew that that worked for my body. So yeah. then, I mean, Hardy was his daddy. Like I said, his daddies are very busy. And at that point I had already had the twins via C-section. And as much as I would have loved to have a vaginal birth for Hardy, it just worked for those dads to be able to like pencil it in on the calendar. <laughs> So we had a date in April for a delivery in August. So August 27th was the day that we were going to have Hardy. And mm-hmm. everything was perfect. I mean, he was born eight pounds, six ounces. He was a big boy, big wow. boy, but he didn't yeah. have a name until that day. And they're like, okay, we finally picked a name. Um, so his name's Hardy Bloom. Yeah. Bloom, I guess, is a grandfather or grandmother's maiden name. And then watching them become daddies was equally as fun. Like I delivered at Mission Hospital. So with the twins and with Hardy, they had their room next to mine. 
So we were just next to each other the whole time we were there. Awesome. So did you get that that heroin hit again? We're like, oh, they get their their yep. dream of a child. And this time it was the same. Um, only one person in the delivery room, so the dads just waited. And I remember. Um, my husband sent a picture of him once he was born to the dads and they were like, Oh my God, put him back. He has no hair. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. We'll just put him back. It's fine. We'll grow a little longer so he grows hair. Yeah. (laughs) He had no hair on the top, but on the sides, but he was riding so low the last week that he probably just like wore off all of his hair, like trying to squeeze his Mm -hmm. way out a week early. Right. (laughs) Oh my God. And then it was, it wasn't until I think Hardy was one year old and they said, we want, Hardy needs a baby sissy. Aww. And like, it wasn't even like a question for me. It's like, okay, so when are we starting? Wow. Yeah. So you had kept Sorry. up with them all that time too, though. So how often did you see them? What was your relationship like after, after Hardy was born? Well, I always said that I didn't want something as close and it's definitely not that case. <laughs> like they're very close oh. to us, but it's just a different type. Like there's not locations not the same I don't talk to them as much as I talk to the twins and their dads but we were still talking at least once a week and seeing each other every three months or so so we were very much in contact and then yeah. it was around I don't even think it was Hardy's first birthday it was probably around Christmas that year they're like we think you want to do it again and I'm like okay well I'm down if you guys are like if you want to work with me I'm happy to work with you and then we did the medical screening in March and medication started in April and transfer May of 2017. And did you go through the same agency? Yep, same agency, same clinic. I mean, essentially, Hardy and his sister, the embryos were created in the same moment. Like She was just frozen. Right, right, right. Makes sense. Yep. And then, but with Tallulah was the time where they were like, okay, it's happening again, Shelly. Like, your, your lining's not progressing. You're supposed to transfer on Friday. Oh. It's Friday, so come back and recheck Monday. If everything's good, we'll transfer Tuesday. And okay. I went back in and he was like, yeah, I still don't see it, Shelly. Like it's f- nice and thick and fluffy, but there's no trilaminar lining here. Right. And I was like, no, that's not normal. Like this doesn't happen to me. I need you to try <laughs> Like look again, Dr. Ringler. And he was like, Shelly, who's like, the doctor here? <laughs> I crying and I think he felt bad because like you called me a unicorn and now you're telling me I'm not good enough. And it was just like a sad moment for us. And so Monday came and he's like, okay, I'm going to check one more time. And he checked and he's like, yep, still not here. Still not happening. And I was like, no, that's not, that's not the case. And he's like, okay, I'm going to try one more thing for you, Shelly. And then we're just going to have to accept the fact that we have to drop the cycle and start again. So he goes yeah. and gets the abdominal ultrasound attachment and checks my uterus from the top. And lo and behold, there was his trilaminar lining. He was right, just different angle, huh? Oh. <laughs> Whatever reason, maybe it was the C-section or maybe it was carrying the last pregnancy, but it, my uterus tilted a little bit. And oh. then it was, but good for you for telling him what's what, that it was there. I should do my shit more often. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <sighs> awesome. Um, have you thought about like replacing Dr. Wrangler? Cause it sounds like you, you know, what's up. Right. No. Right. I can, I can take or, it from here. At least He's joining his practice. Right. Right. I mean, luckily I have such a unique relationship with him. Cause I mean, we did do this twice and I was very pushy, I think with him. Cause I'm like, no, I know my body and I know it's fine. So it's like, he probably <laughs> thought I was a little bit annoying, but now it's like, we've used that scenario before. Like I had a girlfriend who's like, they're canceling my lining because it's, or my transfer because my lining's thick enough, but it's not the right thing. And I'm like, okay, have them do this. And the doctor did it and her transfer continued. So now it's like, I just share it with whomever wants to listen. 
yeah. how did you hear about this? And I'm like, Dr. Ringler did it. He's amazing. Right. Right. Well, if anything, he opened up the idea for other people to check this way to maybe not drop the cycle and not have more financial burden on the couples and right. emotional burden on the surrogate. So Right. It, and an emotional burden all around. Cause even no matter what dropping a cycle for everybody is disappointing too. Right. Like you set yourself back at least a month. It's hard. Right. Yeah. So this pregnancy also without totally, event or totally uneventful. Um, but this was the time where I knew that I didn't like, this was it. Like if the twins dads are done having babies and Hardy and Tallulah's dads are done having babies, like I'm done having babies. And I knew I didn't want any more myself anyway. Um, so I decided that I was, if we were going to do a C-section again, cause Tallulah was stubborn, um, that while, while you're in there, why don't you just remove my fallopian tubes? Then I don't have to do birth control and I don't have to do all of these other things. And they said, okay, well, we can yeah. do that. But Mission Hospital and Mission Viejo will give two dads babies, but they will not take my fallopian tubes. Oh, yeah. Hmm. So I would have to wait and have the baby and then six weeks later go back and do an outpatient treatment. And my doctor said, it's so much easier to just do it since we already have you open. So yep. we decided to transfer mm -hmm. hospitals and I had to go through insurance to get everything transferred over. And we went to Saddleback Hospital in Laguna Hills instead. Mm -hmm. And that way, everything was just good to go at the same time. So every journey was a little different. That one was just meant a different hospital, which was hard for me because all of my mm -hmm. other deliveries were at the other hospital. And it was just what I knew. Um, yeah, I'm super right. stuck in my ways with like routine and how things are supposed to be. So it was a lot for me to, <laughs> to think like, okay, we're going to deliver at a completely different hospital with completely different nurses. But luckily, my OB was on staff at both hospitals. So I got to keep him. Oh, good. Oh, great. Good. And I assume still a positive experience. Did the dads, you still only had one person in the room. Dad's no. got room next to you. I mean, that was the fun part at Saddleback. You can have whoever you wanted in the room. So it was oh. me and my husband and both of the dads. Bonus. And two doctors and two whole nursing, like the, everything, like, you know, the, the two OBs and the nurses. And it was a party. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but it was really fun to like be able to end with everybody. And then I remember getting into the hospital because my C-section was until 5 p.m. And so I'm like, okay, that's oh, wow. really hungry. And I was like, did you guys even have a name yet? And they're like, okay, we finally decided on a name this morning. So they gave me a gift the day Tallulah was born. And it's a necklace that's absolutely gorgeous. And on the back, it's engraved Hardy and Girl Hardy because we just called her Girl Hardy because we didn't have a name. And then they told me that her name was Tallulah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. Like you couldn't have planned it better yeah. if I had a say. Right. Oh, that's so wonderful. Yeah. So I have to, I'm going to just totally lead you into this great story um, just because there's no other way to just bring it out right on out there. You did a really awesome thing this uh, spring that is incredible. So I'm just gonna let you tell what you did so that you could, it ties all of your surrogacy journeys together. Yeah. I mean, I always knew that there was a point in time where I was going to need a picture with all of the kids that I had carried. So my two daughters and the twins are in Norway and then Hardy and Tallulah are here. So when I got pregnant the first time, I was only 20. And I had just started a new job and granted this was like pre-Obama. So pregnancy was a pre-existing condition. So my conception date was prior to my hire date. So I wasn't able to have my pregnancy covered at my new job under that insurance policy. 
So I remember going to Planned Parenthood and I was like, so what do I do? And they were like, how much do you make and how much is this? And so it'll be $3,500 for prenatal care. And that doesn't include labor and delivery. And I'm like, okay, like I just told you I was 20. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So I went home and we were talking um, and where my boyfriend then worked, um, I could be covered under his insurance, but it'd have to be under a life event, which means we had to get married. So in California, it takes two weeks to get a marriage license. So in Vegas, you can get it like the same day. So we decided like, oh, what are you doing tomorrow? Oh, we're going to drive to Vegas and get married. And then on Monday, I'm going to make an OB appointment. Right. (laughs) And then we never looked back like $37 and 28 cents, I think. And a couple of vinyl snap curtains, like we were married in Vegas. That's awesome. So we always said like, oh, we're going to renew our wedding vows someday. Because like a girl needs a wedding dress, right? Right. Yeah. I had the wedding dress and I was like, okay, so once I tell everybody, like they're all just going to come. And so I'm like, yay, we're doing a wedding. And they're like, okay, we're booking our flights today. I'm like, my plan is working perfectly. So on April 6th of this year, it was our 12 year anniversary. We decided to renew our wedding vows and all four dads and all six kids and everybody came and we got the picture that I said I would get. And it was exactly what I wanted. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I love it. Uh, it gives me chills because I love it so much. Yeah. It was kind of fun that after everything, like the dads had never met each other before and the kids had never all been in the same room together before. And the twins, dads, and them came a couple days before. So I think three or four days before. And then the moment that Hardy and Tallulah and their dads pulled up and I saw them getting out of the car and walking inside, I lost it. Like I just cried and cried. Mm, like yeah. I wanted this moment for so long. Like everybody in the same picture. It's like my family photo. Yeah. Yeah. And it was quite perfect. Oh, I love it. So tell us what you do now. Cause I think that, I mean, you obviously have had a very, you know, very strong opinion on who you wanted to help and you, you are continuing to, to help in, in a very similar vein. So I'd love to hear about what, what you're, what you're doing at the moment. So after I had the twins, when I was out on maternity leave, um, the company I'd worked with went out of business. So when I went to go back to work, it was kind of starting over, figuring out what I wanted to do. And the same clinic that I went to on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve and all of these eves where you have to find somebody that's open, they were hiring a marketing coordinator. And that's my background. I went to school for marketing and communications. And I saw the posting online and I submitted my resume and it happened to be the same clinic that got me pregnant with the twins. So I remember emailing Dr. Bustenfar, like, hey, this job position's open. Like, what do you think? And he's like, I think you're perfect for it. I'll email them now and tell them that you're interested. Send me your resume. So he vouched for me. And I remember getting going to the interview and they I tell him my whole story. And lo and behold, it was the second person to call me a unicorn. Like, not only do you do marketing, <laughs> and IVF, like you're perfect for this. And so I worked with them for a little over five years. And then once I was done being pregnant, so the end of my pregnancy with Tallulah was approaching and I knew that the likelihood of being a surrogate again was very low. Um, it would have been my third C-section. And I wanted, I, I was always chasing that heroin moment. So you, you had the twins, then you chased it and you had Hardy and you chased it. And now you're having Tallulah. Okay, so what happens when you can't be pregnant anymore? Like, how do you get right, that yeah. fulfillment out of life and this high that I've been chasing for the better part of 10 years? Um, and then I saw a posting online that everybody kept tagging me in that men having babies was hiring a marketing coordinator. (laughs) And I thought, Oh, this is perfect. So instead of helping just one couple have a baby, I get to help an organization who helps 
hundreds of couples a year facilitate their way through a journey and have a baby. So I remember applying for the position and I was, I think, 34 weeks pregnant with Tallulah. And you're like, so you're coming with us to San Francisco, right? And I was like, I don't know about this. It's technically in the same state I'm in, so I could go. I would need my OB to approve, and I would need the couple to approve, and I would need the agency to approve. So I was like, okay, let's start with OB. And my OB's like, you're perfectly healthy. You can go. And I go to Hardy and Tallulah's dads, Billy and Brian, and I'm like, what do you think? And they're like, well, if your OB says it's fine, like, we're okay with it. And then I go to the agency and I'm like, okay, so the OB said yes. And my couple said yes. So you're going to say yes. Right. And they were like, you're not really giving us the chance to say no. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, Dr. Ringler was there, who's a huge advocate for men having babies. Um, And I was like, okay, well, you got me into this mess. So if something happens, you're going to be there. So you can just get me out of this mess. Right. And he was like, sure. (laughs) Whatever you say. Um, So I remember going up and everybody's like, oh, so when are you due? And I'm like, next week. So the Men Having Babies Conference was, I think, January 15th and 16th, and my C-section was scheduled for January 23rd. Wow. So we were just kind of pushing our luck there, but like, go big or go home, right? Like, I don't recommend it. It was not a smart decision, but we did it, okay? (laughs) (laughs) It worked out. It worked out. Right? Oh, my God. But it was kind of the natural progression, and not only in my career, but in my life. Like, I needed this to fill a void that I was essentially going to have had I not jumped on the men having babies bandwagon. So I'm the marketing manager at men having babies. Now it's been a year and a half and we just get to put on these conferences for groups of incredible guys who just wouldn't understand the process or how to facilitate it on their own. So our main goal is to just empower them and educate them on the process, on the steps to make sure that they're making the best decision for them and their family Um, There's a lot of people out there that are going to tell you how they think you should do it. And it's because they have some sort of maybe monetary or financial benefit from it or because they think that they know everything. So we just really want them to make their own decisions and to do things that feel right in their gut and in their heart and to just know that they have control over as much of the process as that they want. So, and and you don't know what you don't know, I mean, is what it really comes down to. And I've been to so many of you guys' conferences and you guys help people at least know what they don't know <laughs> is what it comes down to. So we're not and another big thing is the scholarships, right? Right. Which I'm sure you're, you're probably getting to, but the yeah. Men Having Babies offer scholarships to help people afford this very expensive process. Yes. So we have obviously the conferences that just give them like the one-on-one, like here's the steps that you need and here's the steps to take. And then we have the same providers who sponsor the conferences pledge discounted services. So people who financially qualify could benefit from discounts from a wide range of surrogacy agencies, IVF clinics, mental health professionals, um, a legal team, escrow companies, whatever you need. We have providers that we've partnered with that offer discounts. So we call those like journey boosters. So it's people who just maybe need a little bit of help. And then based on that, we have certain guys that come back and apply for stage two of our gay parenting assistance program. And that is the same agencies, clinics, um, attorneys, whomever, they pledge a pro bono service. So they're willing to pledge their fee. So free of charge to help guys have babies. And last year we were able to help 18 couples or singles facilitate their way through a surrogacy journey. I think right now we have 33 babies born through our stage two program. That's awesome. Great. And we are about to announce this year's numbers, but it's going to be our highest number of recipients yet. 
So it's just really exciting to be able to give this opportunity to people who would not be able to have children if they didn't get help. And it's an expensive process. So I think the least we can do is just help, even if it's one person. Just knowing that you're able to put that good out into the world is something that I don't think I'll ever be able to appreciate enough because it just takes my breath away every time. And every conference that we leave, you meet a handful of guys who I still keep in contact with. And it's just a really fun moment to know that they wouldn't be as far as they are without the help of the organization that I've chose to work with for the last year and a half. Yeah. That's incredible. Do you, I'm going to put you on the spot and say, can you tell people at least for the coming year where they are planning to have conferences coming up? Yes. On June 8th and 9th, we're going to be in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. In September, we're going back to Brussels in Belgium. In November, we will be in New York City. And in December, we are heading back to Tel Aviv, Israel. And then January, back in San Francisco. So we do seven to eight conferences a year. And then our assistance program, you could apply for stage one at any time throughout the year. And stage two applications are during the summer. So July and August. Shelly, you truly are a unicorn. Thank you you for, for sharing your story. You're an amazing person and we really appreciate you, you sharing this and helping so many others become parents. Well, thank you guys so much for having me and thank you for bearing with my, my zoo here at home. It's all right. (laughs) We love the zoo. That's all right. It's good. (laughs) Thank you, Shelly. It's always a pleasure to have you on and to talk to you. Um, Just to reiterate the men having babies, which Shelly is an amazing representative of and makes everyone feel very welcome at their events, aside from them being so informative. So the next one is in just a few days in Fort Lauderdale, June 8th and 9th. Um, After that, looks like Brussels in September 21st and 22nd, 2019, in case you're listening years later from this. Right. Uh, (laughs) New York, November 9th and 10th, 2019. And Israel is the last for the year in December December 6th and 7th. And even if you're listening to this in like 2020 or 2021, they tend to have a similar schedule most years, but have been growing and adding cities. So that's been exciting. I mean, I will say to anybody, these are incredible, incredible events, like just overwhelmingly full of information. You You just, you don't know what you don't know until you until you go and you hear about it. And they are so passionate about making sure that people are educated through this process. And they're really great events. They're really fun events too. So totally worth going. You know, it's we, also we really, you know, it's what? Also What's really, really fun. Really fun? <laughs> Leaving What's reviews that? on iTunes. What? Oh, I love it. Yes. Yes. It is really fun to do that. <laughs> it's fun for me because I get to read them, right? <laughs> Maybe if I go back and check. We love um, feedback and we appreciate everyone getting the word out and, um, you know, rating us on iTunes. And please and don't be afraid to give us a call at on our hotline number 303-997-1903 or shoot us an email. We're we're pretty easy to track down via our respective businesses. So Or you know, stop like, stop Jen on the street and say, What? Your sisters? I I yeah, exactly. No. Keep keep doing that. That that totally doesn't scare me at all. So <laughs> thank you all so much for listening. 